I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? We're back. It's day two of the draft. If you're listening to this on day two or it's whatever you're watching on record, don't know where you are, don't know what you're watching. But for us, we stayed up late, we took it all in, and we got a friend on the line. But before we get to the friend, big man, how you doing? How was your first night of the draft? Uh, overall, I'd give it a sort of B. It was a solid effort given what was going on. Um, there's some definite talking points of the draft. We'll get to that. I've got a bit of an alternative rankings of the draft in terms of the views that were given by the GM and the um, and the coach. So I've got a little GM coaching rankings. I'm going to drop really quickly somewhere in this pod uh, based on their uh, their draft rooms. Because I feel that's important, you know. I feel like that's perhaps more important than the players that were picked because they'll be the forever images of how I view them. Um, some people went massively up in my estimations. Some people there was only one winner. Yeah. Only one winner. No, 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 no. See, that's where you're wrong. There's a couple of, of real solid efforts. There's a couple of people that really need to take a good hard look at themselves in the mirror and think, well, <laughs> maybe this isn't for them. And, you know, the other thing that really shocked me, and we'll, we'll get into it in a bit, is... Isn't it funny that the head coaches live in better houses than the GMs? (laughs) 
Like, clearly being a GM is not where the money's at. That's all I'm saying. Is it's think... clearly not where the money's at because some of those head coaches have got some nice swanky places. And then you look at some of the GM's houses and you think, wow, you can't even afford real artwork. You've got your children like drawing some scribbles on the wall. Um, no, see, you know, maybe sort it out. Like, no, general managers, I think they just live in homely houses, whereas head coaches maybe rent somewhere because how, how long are you going to be around, you know? That's a good point. But I'd argue the same thing for the GM. But anyway, we digress. It was a good evening. Uh, enjoyed it. And uh, looking forward to tonight. Um, I think it's going to be a, a fun night. Um, and I think we, I, I messaged on our group earlier that yourself, uh, myself and, and Lee did really well in the draft last night. I think all of our teams got what we wanted. Um, and I'm delighted. You must be delighted. And, and mm. like at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Sod everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll ask our guests how his night one was for, for picks, but they didn't have any. So, um, well, but no, then, mind no, you, it, their, it, pick, it, their pick went really well last year. So, you know, he's already on, playing. No, he's already <laughs> playing. That's what I mean. Like, you, you won't be gutted when you saw Minka Fitzpatrick having a year that he had last year. Like, it's a good, that's a hit. Very true. Very true. Well, we've talked about today's guest. Let's get him on. He's a returning guest to Five Yard Rush. It's injury analyst. He writes for Fantasy Headliners and he co-hosts Superflex Show. It's Dr. Ethan Turner. Ethan, welcome back to Five Yard Rush, man. How are you? No, I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, This has been, I feel like, a full year in the making. I uh, really enjoyed the first time I was on the show, and then it just seemed like we were just just crossing paths, but never really could make it happen. So I'm glad that we could come together here and and actually actually get get sat down and talk. And of course, we do it like right in the middle of probably my favorite part of the NFL off season, which is the NFL draft. So I'm I'm thrilled. Yeah, I would say most years it's normally my favorite bit, but I've I've liked off I've liked free agency quite a bit this year. Um, so, but the draft has been treating me quite well as well. So yeah, all around happy bunny over here. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that the, uh, the, the, the Minka Fitzpatrick pick was probably, I would say the best value of the first round. Um, if I had to argue, um, I actually liked what Tampa did too. Um, getting, getting probably, I, I mean, worse was my, you know, basically my, my tackle too, um, after Will. So, um, I thought that was just an absolute slam dunk pick for you guys, for your team, Murph, but, um, the Steelers did get to have Minka Fitzpatrick play for most of last year. And then obviously you still have him. So, um, not a bad, not a bad first round, even though I am a Steelers fan. Um, I didn't get to see any picks for my team, but, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly content with that knowing that we have probably a top five, uh, safety in the league right now so and he's young so i know i'm not not upset at all 100 percent. like it's a great pick it worked out well and uh, everyone kind of ripped the Steelers for that but it really worked out like he was a shout for a defensive player of the year um i know he didn't get it but he was definitely on the short list um i think you made the playoffs he probably would have got it I, I think Watt would have probably won, um, also a Steeler, but I, I think that it was um, definitely you could see the difference in that defense as a whole. Um, and now you're looking at you know a core of uh, basically three elite defenders uh, that we can build around with hopefully some good picks here in the second, um, and then obviously in the rest of this draft for the Steelers, I'm, I'm excited. We haven't seen it yet, 
So we're, if you're listening to this and the draft's already happened, I don't know who the Steelers pick um, in this draft yet. So don't judge me if I say that they should uh, pick one guy, they pick another guy. But um, I think with some solid picks, um, if Big Ben comes back healthy, you know, it could be, uh, you know, it could be another good year for us. Yeah, definitely. If we play, if we, if we have, you know, a season, which I am (laughs) holding out hope that there will be a season. Uh, I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer about this. Um, I I definitely think they're going to find a way because there's way too much money in it for them not to. That's a doctor approved message right there, folks. (laughs) You can take that to the bank. So between, between now and the last time, Ethan, what have you been up to? How's things? Busy. I don't know. I can't remember. Was the last, was I actually, did I have my doctorate by the time, last time we talked? I I don't believe I did. Um, So I did get a doctorate. I did graduate. I passed my board. So everything's good there. Um, I actually uh, now run two sports clinics. So um, I basically train athletes all day as a a PT. Um, I also train other people, but I get it. I get to work with quite a few athletes just based on the setting I'm in. Um, some pretty large gyms uh, as the PT that's running a clinic in it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's pretty neat. I actually get to like put some of this stuff into real life practice too. Um, I did get to, to help not necessarily train, but advise uh, someone who was a local kid that was, uh, had a, had a pro day. Um, so that was kind of neat to be able to see it from a totally different perspective. Um, and now I've got friends that actually are training first round draft picks. So I get a, a really unique um, behind the scenes look at this, this whole like draft process and the combine, because I have direct links to people that are training, you know, first round picks. So uh, that has been, you know, a really cool uh, little bit for me, um, just from a professional. And then obviously, like what I do here, uh, talking about fantasy, it's cool to have some of that. I'm finally getting to the point where I get some behind the scenes stuff, which I think is pretty cool. Amazing. That's what it's all about. Once you're that, once you're one of those in the know people, um, that's when you know you've made it. Yeah, it's it's super cool. It's super cool. Awesome. So, uh, just before we we talk about day one, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your fantasy season from from last year. Um, how <laughs> how did you get on last year? Um, I'm assuming you got some ships. Um, by the way, at this point, I'm going to insert. We picked up a lot of listeners since you last joined the show. Um, oh, you're killing f- it! I'm going to find the episode that you were on before because. I've probably listened to that back more than 90, 95% of the shows that we do because the advice you give around uh, how to find out about injuries, how to discern what's real, what's not, um, and when to pay attention to the injuries is, is information I use a lot. Um, it was why we brought you on originally because I heard your uh, expertise on Fantasy Football 24-7 podcast, which is now the fun. Um, but sadness, it's <laughs> real sadness. Um, Lock, yeah, John Lock, oh, Dave Lock definitely messed up there. Um, but I'm gonna find it, I'm gonna reshare it out because I think any fantasy player who uh is worth a pinch of salt should listen and get the lessons from that because it's still good, even like we we talked about why you should be paying attention to these sorts of things and um, with your guide, which we'll get to apply the two and you'll, you'll be streets ahead of other players. So uh, I'll share that out, but taking on your advice from last year with injuries, um, I expect you probably hit a few home runs in some leagues last year. I, you know, here's the thing. I, 
I did and I didn't. I did not. I was in nine leagues last year. Um, I kind of mixed up. Uh, this year was I, I wanted to try different things. So I did a few leagues actually with you guys um, that were tiered PPR. I'd never been a tiered PPR. So that was that was unique. Um, I joined an IDP Dynasty League. Um, I talk about IDP players um, often just from an injury perspective. So I decided that I would try to dip my toe in. Um, I'm, I'm one that I, you know, I, I think with fantasy, especially uh, once you've played for a while, if you're constantly only playing in the same types of leagues, you don't get that same type of like fire to really like learn and, and, and become better, I guess, at it. You just get into kind of a rhythm of, you know, this is kind of how I play fantasy. Um, so I did try quite a few different leagues. The IDP league was a ton of fun. If you've never played an IDP league and you're listening to this, definitely check it out. I was a skeptic. I was not a huge IDP guy. Um, I jumped into a league with basically a bunch of IDP podcasters. So I was a, I was a totally a small fish surrounded by sharks. Um, and I got bounced in the playoffs, but I went 10 and three. So I did have a very good season. Um, just didn't quite pull it out. I, I really feel like that dynasty league, I have a pretty good chance of setting up for, you know, a championship either this year or next year, uh, just with how I drafted in that league. But uh, nine, nine leagues, I went to the playoffs and I believe seven of them. Um, I didn't make the playoffs in the Scott Fishbowl. So I guess technically I only played in eight like normal fantasy leagues um, and went to the playoffs in seven of them. So I think that was pretty successful. Um, once you get to the playoffs, it's kind of a crapshoot, but I, I did make it to um, – Basically, of the seven, I had five semifinal appearances and then two finals appearances that I actually played against my hometown nemesis in fantasy football. He lives about uh, 10 minutes south of me. Um, we've been friends since we were in high school, and he beat me in both of those championships. So uh, mm -hmm. I did not not take home, I, and that was, that was devastating. But I made money playing fantasy last year. Um, I did not lose any money, um, which I guess is a small win. I wish I could have pulled home a championship. I really wish I'd have won my home dynasty league against him, but you know, it is what it is. You live and you learn. And, and, you know, I, I did learn that nine leagues was way too many for me. Um, there were multiple times where I did not make waiver claims that I should have made probably cost myself. Um, I probably cost myself at least one championship just because I was in way too many leagues for what I was doing with my life. Everyone I think has a limit of what you can like handle. Um, I'm pretty content with like five to seven. When I got to nine, it got to be way too much for me on a daily basis. So, um, you know, I've learned, I've learned that as well. Uh, nine leagues is too much for some people that number's 20, 25, 30, but for me, you know, nine leagues was just, I just couldn't keep up with it the way that I wanted to. That's fair. I, I definitely think there's a limit to, to each, each person and, and in terms of how you do it. And, um, I find waivers is a real system. And I think if you play on different platforms, that's where it gets really hard. If you can put, if you can keep the majority of your leagues onto one platform, that does help you a little bit in terms of maybe expanding your leagues a little bit, because it means you're not having to go across and try and find all your leagues. Um, like the majority of our leagues were on sleepers. So I found that I could do all of our waivers quite quickly. Um, even in all the shared teams we had, um, we still missed one or two, but it wasn't too bad. It was in some of the other leagues I played in. It was just like, oh yeah, we got a Yahoo league. Oh crap. Oh my God. We're in an ESPN league. Ah, oh, they were the ones I forgot. Cause it's just like this one league. You know, yeah. like, ah, I don't yeah. remember them. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, so what do you, so your takeaways other than to play less leagues, is there any other <laughs> takeaways that's going to deliver you a ship this year? Um, I think for me, uh, I, I, I used to be a very balanced drafter when I drafted in fantasy leagues, it was always, I tried to keep my team as balanced as possible. So if you start, you know, three wide receivers, two running backs, a tight end and a quarterback, you know, obviously I waited on tight end and quarterback. I feel like most people do that anymore. Um, but I, I tried to, you know, alternate basically running back wide receiver or, you know, two, if I took two wide receivers, I'd get two running backs and try to keep my team as even keel as possible. Um, the problem I think that I have with that. And the reason I'm kind of shifting away from it is that wide receiver is so much deeper now than running back is. Um, and running backs truly are the way that you win fantasy championships. I think right, right this moment, you have to have at least one, but ideally two stud bell cow running backs. And so uh, I felt like, you know, I was, I was finding all these wide receivers that I could like plug and play for a week or two weeks. You know, Danny Amendola played in a bunch of leagues as like a third or fourth wide receiver for me when he was, you know, catching eight balls for, you know, 70 yards and, and maybe a touchdown. There aren't very many running backs that do that for you. So I definitely think I'm taking a much more running back heavy approach um, and, and really trying to ideally get, three good running backs before I even start even looking at wide receiver. Um, I think with this rookie class wide receiver is going to get spread even, even more further out where you're going to be able to take wide receivers in the, you know, fifth through ninth rounds that could all potentially, you know, be wide receiver ones. Um, So that's, that's probably the biggest change that I'll make this year um, from just a drafting or strategy perspective. But for the most part, you know, it stays, it stays the same for me, you know, year to year. I don't, I try not to switch it up too much. I'm still learning how to draft an IDP. I'll see how my rookie draft with IDP players involved goes because I, I have never done it. So still trying to learn, still trying to do different things, but for the most part, that's the only real nugget of advice that I'm going to be taking forward. That's a good one. I, I subscribe to that philosophy quite heavily. I, my first four picks tend to be three running backs, one wide receiver um i will try and go running back running back where possible unless there's a real value at wide receiver in round two then i might go running back wide receiver running back running back or i might go wide receiver running back running back running back something like that but if it's always that seems to be the sort of combination for that exact reason like you said because it just gets a bit deeper and i and i seem to think that once you get past round four those those wide receivers sort of round four round five round six they're a bit of a much of a muchness you might miss out like last year you would have picked up uh, uh you know a calvin ridley uh, a dj Moore, mike williams they all kind of you know okay ridley uh, i mean Moore did slightly better godwin would have been the one that was the steal of the bunch but you kind of weren't really missing on a lot of those guys you were kind of getting you know landry in the sixth round was again reasonably similar to those guys the drop-offs weren't as as real whereas when you got to round four of running bags it was kind of like Josh Jacobs, and then it was like fifth round. Uh, I don't know who I'm taking here. You're like, right, okay, uh, I'm gambling now. Hope Darius Geis is okay. I'll take him. Injured, bonk, right? And then you're kind of just stuck. So um, it's good advice. Um, at this part of the show, I want to go through last night's draft in a kind of an alternative rankings to, again, as I mentioned, GMs and uh, coaches' houses and just backgrounds of what they provided. And I need your help with this because 
I've written notes as I went through the draft. And then I need you guys to help me come up with grades based on my commentary that we think are fair for each team. So it's like an alternative ranking of, um, of, of drafting. So instead of drafting them based on their picks, because we're not going to know how well they turn out for a year or two, we can give an instant grade on their draft setups. Um, so let's start with Rog, uh, given he's the commish. Decent basement, man bunker, nice little um, bits of memorabilia, the 100 ball and the 100 book kind of stand out. Decent screen, little setup there and everything. I like the fact that during the draft, he added little things. So I don't know if you noticed uh, it started off quite bare on the desk with the surface down. Then he picked the, the tablet up and then he had the little M&Ms in the little draft bowl after. It's like they're just little things that kept adding through and through the draft. that was quite cool. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that he messed up uh, the Las Vegas hosting the 2020 draft. Um, that was a, a real highlight for me that he messed it up. But the thing that really confused me more than anything was the fact that after 10 picks, he did away with the blazer and put a jumper on. I didn't get that. I mean, I have, I've seen quite a few people kind of bashing just his house setup, no, and how good. they were like, well, they were like, well, his house looks like it's from the seventies. I'm like, well, he's, he's not like a young dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you expect? He's like a rich old guy. Like, of course his house is out of date. Like it's his actual house. It's probably like his third house. So I'm not surprised. He's probably married to a, you know, a rich old woman that likes that kind of stuff because they're old. They're like, we can't judge him as young people and be like, well, that house looks like a grandpa's house. And it's like, well, yeah, because that's, that's what he is. Like, he is an old guy. Just because he's the NFL commissioner doesn't mean that he's like some really hip interior designer. <laughs> like, what also, is his basement. Like, it's yeah. not even, like, a main part of his house. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was. I yeah. wasn't, like, I didn't look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. But I didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. I thought it was a solid, like, B effort. It was, like, it was fine. It was decent. He did a job. The screen was nice. Uh, the interactions were weird. But that's Raj. You kind of take that as part of the course. I don't know about you. What did you think, Stars? I, I, I liked the M&Ms in the bowl. I thought that was a personal touch. I... I mean, yeah, his interactions were a little odd. I didn't notice that he switched to a jumper. I've got to admit, I didn't even clock that. Um, it was about I ten was... picks in. I was like, "Oh, he's not, he's not just in a jumper." <laughs> now you say it, I do think towards the end of the draft, I thought he looks different, but I can't pinpoint what it is. And well, now I know I, that I noticed it because he's a bit more buff than I seem to think he is. And then, like, because it was quite a tight <laughs> jumper, you started to see the arm muscles coming out. I was like, oh, he's been in the gym." Get in there, Raj. He's been working yeah. hard. I liked it. I thought it was fine. I, it's solid B effort for me. It wasn't exceptional. wasn't bad. He did all right. For, for Wooden I, Raj, it was fine. I like Kyle Shanahan having his kids with him and stuff. I thought that was cool. Like a uh, nice you're rushing ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We're rushing ahead. I'm going to go through some of these quickly. The Bengals, uh, Zach Taylor with his little uh, little banner in the background. Before, okay, that's fine. But his desk looks like something you'd get out of Ikea for about 12 quid. I was like, that is the cheapest, nastiest desk I've ever seen. I was like, I swear I had one of those when I was like 15. And I was like, right, we need to get him a desk to do his homework on. <laughs> like, surely as a, as a head coach earning millions of dollars that he could buy a desk. I don't know. Or a table or something. I thought it was weird. What did you think? <laughs> I, again, I pick I up on these little nuances. Yeah, I didn't notice his IKEA desk. Um, it was bad. Yeah, I, it, 
I, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything to say about the Ikea desk. I mean, if here's the thing, like with all these guys, you can tell which ones do a ton of work at home based on their setup. Like if you That's roll up, um, like I'm trying to think of a good one here. Like, you know, you could tell which ones were like set up on the fly. Cause they realized that, Oh, we're going to put a camera like in my house. Like, I don't normally work in my house. Like you could see the temporary setups like John Elway's house had like tables with tablecloths on it and like eight huge TVs. Like, okay, clearly he doesn't just have his house set up like that. Like Matt rules house. I thought was pretty cool. Like it was just like his office. I mean, maybe he had a couple more monitors on his desk, but like for the most part, it looks like a classic, like, I'm rich and I have an office in my house. So (laughs) this is what it looks like. He has like a nice little bookcase behind him. Like there were quite a few, I think, I guess the biggest thing was like, you could tell the ones that do do a lot of work from home or studying at home or business, I guess business at home. And then you could tell the ones that, you know, were, we're more of a, this is like a temporary setup. I usually do my work like at the office, like at uh, my office at the stadium. Uh, I mean, like Matt Patricia is one of those because it looked like that he'd forgotten it was the NFL draft and it looked like that he just had dinner and he sort of cleared everything off the table and just on his kitchen table had just set up his laptop like in a really hurried state. And it was just like, dude, that wasn't there 10 minutes ago. I mean, that, that was pretty bad. Uh, Joe Judge looked like that he uh, ended Judge, up. Joe Judge of- looked like he was trying to conceal a murder. Did you <laughs> see his like double? Like he had like forty foot black panels so that you couldn't see anything else in his apartment. It was so weird. It was, was the like- weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like that when they when they were doing Joe Judge and then cutting back to Dave Gettleman in his house by himself with his mask on, I was like, "How can you, as a Giants fan, how does this instill confidence for you?" Like, yeah. And I didn't even think they made a bad pick, but I'm watching it just going, "Oh my gosh, he's wearing a mask. He's in his own house." I kind like, of thought it was like an episode of Dexter, and I was like, "They've selected that's Andrew exactly Thomas." What I that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. Like he looked like a serial killer in there. It was like, and the camera was like, it looked like a CCTV camera, like up in the corner. Like all the other ones are like right up next, you know, like it's kind of like professionally set up. And then his camera is like a freaking, like you're like, you're not even supposed to be seeing the inside of his house. Like, like ESPN snuck the camera in. It's just like above <laughs> it. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It was crazy. I liked Brian Flores' setup. I thought that was swish. Like he's yes. got a nice proper setup. Anthony Lynn looked like he'd just broken into an apartment that was right across from his to do his pick because there was no personal detail whatsoever. Absolutely anywhere. <laughs> it was just weird. Um, but Tom Telsko with that Charger surfboard, I thought was, was nice. Kingsbury definitely wins it for me because he looks like he's Joe. He, he looks like he's, uh, he, Tony uh, Montana. He is Airbnb. <laughs> Jesus out of that. He's gone on he, to Airbnb he, five minutes from his house and picked the most expensive villa and then thought I'm doing it from here. Either that or I'm moving to Arizona. Cause if you can afford that on like 250 grand, then I'm, I'm having it. Um, there was nothing on the Browns that disappointed me that we didn't get to see that. Uh, I love the fact that John Gruden, 
had a board with all of his players and then next to the players was all these 40 times. So clearly Henry Ruggs was the number one choice because he ran the fastest 40. I was like, I totally saw that and was just like, oh, dude, they're going to take rugs for sure. Mm -hmm. I was like looking at it. It's like John Gruden would be the only guy that's like just looking at 40 time to pick his players. I was like, oh, this is so easy. It's like I saw the 40 times. I was like, oh, it's going to be rugs. Oh, look, it is. I I don't know, man. I I, Can we go back to Kingsbury for a second? Because uh, Cliff looks like he's about to absolutely like steal your girl, steal your (laughs) friend's girl, steal your dog. Like he rolls in like this picture looks like it's like it looks like it's totally fake. Like it doesn't even look real. He's got a freaking bed outside. Like, you know that that he's just absolutely like he's he gets anything he wants. Oh, absolutely. Like he's got a freaking his fire pit. Like I I just know that that there's like a pool under this like weird fire pit thing he's got going out. Oh, it's incredible there. It's just like did you see a total flex? (laughs) (laughs) Like a total flex. Did you see Steve Kimes' comments yesterday? So he was asked after the draft. He was like, "So did Cliff Kingsbury give you any pressure to take an offensive player at eight? And he went, "What do you think?" Cliff was just chilling on his couch. (laughs) Like. (laughs) He doesn't look like he has a single care in the world. Like, and I also love, this is a subtle hint, but you know he's got an expensive table because, or whoever his girlfriend or wife or whoever's advising him knows is not letting him put his water bottles on the table. Yeah. There are no coasters. There is no, I don't, he might have a little bit of like a snack bowl, but like both the water bottles he has are are on the floor and that's how you know that table is super expensive oh yeah my wife yells at me i got three coasters (laughs) next to me because my wife yells at me when i I got three on my desk so uh you know that somebody is advising him that he is not allowed to put any water bottles on that table oh a hundred percent um i put bruce on his porch ace that's bruce arians all the way through uh shanahan i thought it was weird that he dressed smarter than he normally would i thought that was just weird uh elway with his three lombardis of course he clearly just went back to the office and stuck those bad boys out it's like i'm gonna have them on my table arthur blank wearing the uh, atlanta jersey did not make the atlanta jerseys look any better uh if anything that should have been banned because it's not going to increase the five people that were going to buy the jersey because they're terrible um jerry jones is sweet i don't know where he was recording from whether it was from space or <laughs> a yacht but jesus <laughs> what was that i mean it's like I, I like he know. looked like he was in his own press box yeah like be- just a big couch like he's probably looking at freaking jerry world from that cat he's probably the only person in the stadium right now for me i mean it was like it's a cross between he's a bond villain i expect the cat to come out (laughs) or or he was just like doing some like home realty show or something it was just it was bizarro i don't understand it and then you had the weird close-ups of of mike mccarthy where the camera was like three inches from his nose you're like well that's how you know mike mccarthy's an old man too because that's how he was the perfect example of every skype call i've ever had with my grandparents that they don't know how to use the technology so their face is like right up into it and then they're like oh like like they don't know that they have to like move the computer back and that you'll still hear them and see them so that's just like right face oh the best one though and i have to get your opinion on you guys opinion on this what what was going on with Mike Vrabel? <laughs> yes. Mike Vrabel's is up there. 
so i like had that, to, that's like a clearly a joke right well no i had so i had to really sort of do a lot of reading afterwards to find out what had happened so there were he has two sons so one decided to dress up as him in his pro bowl and has a mullet I don't oh know my gosh it, i have to look that up now i had no the, idea that's what he was going for and then the other one is is his other son is dressed like Frozone from yes from I the Incredibles? <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, first of all, Mike Rabel, massive arrow up for me, just for the fact that he's got the family involved. He's made it a bit gimmicky. He's made it a bit fun. It's memorable. I'm I'm all in on that. I think like well, he some looks people... disappointed though, and all the like when you watch <laughs> it, he's like sad. He's well, like, oh, look, yeah, he's like, oh, geez, this is embarrassing. I don't think they were supposed to be on the screen at the time. I don't really know. I thought it was <laughs> Ace. There were a couple of others uh, I really wanted to get. I thought Howie, uh, Harry should have hung his, uh, he should have hung his diploma up. I know he looks twenty three, running the the the, G, the front office for the Eagles, but he's not twenty three. His diploma could have gone up on a wall somewhere. Like, just get around, hang it up, Howie. It doesn't need to be sort of hanging around. Uh, the fact that Mike Zimmer has a hunting lodge as a house, I think is amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty bomb. I mean, I think that it's was awesome. Bar. I thought it was bull. I looked at that. He's got like Mike Zimmer ranch on his like a little fire branded pit. I thought that was sick. Um, I like the fact that um, Peyton's draft uh, draft food of choice was Twizzlers and that he drank or he had three drinks on the go, which I thought was cool. He had a Coke, an orange soda and a hot beverage. I, I don't know how they all kind of go, but yeah, like he was I like, had four different beverages last <laughs> night, and it was all alcohol, but it's all good. <laughs> and then also the last one from a, I like the fact that Henry Ruggs turned up in a robe. I thought that was cool. Like, yeah, I'm balling. I'm just about to make millions of dollars, so I'm going to turn up. It was in like a, an Old Spice commercial. <laughs> like he had an Old Spice robe on. I, I, gonna... I personally actually enjoyed the fact that all of these players like kind of got to dress however they would normally dress. I thought that the, it mixed uh, like, I don't know. To me, it's like, yeah, it's cool, but you really can't like deck out a suit. I mean, they all do like the thing where they open it up and it's like got something in it, but like you can't really show your real style. Uh, I do love that Tua, who I think is like adorable little quarterback did still wear his suit. I don't know. And Justin was, Jefferson, he did as well. I think if I had spent that much money on the suit, I'd probably be sitting on my couch in it too um but i do like that some of those players decided to just like chill in a robe in some sweatpants like i just think it it gives you like a new insight on like okay what are these players really like just like in their casual lives um i had to get your thoughts on that because i i just like that little part of the draft for me was just it was just it was just ace i absolutely loved it um but uh, story the one thing i noticed probably most more than anything else was just how disappointed CJ Henderson was when he got the phone call from the Jags. <laughs> he looked so upset, so <laughs> upset when he was sat on the couch. Obviously, he's been drafted first round, great, but man, he did not look best pleased. He was probably looking forward to getting out of Florida for the first time in his life. I mean, he went to high school in Miami, then he went to university in Gainesville, and I bet he was thinking like, "Wow, I can go anywhere. Like, I could, I could end up in." I could end up in Tampa, not that they were going to take a corner or, they, I, you know, I could have ended up in San Minnesota. Fran. He, I mean, uh, like, literally, Minnesota. Like, he could have gone anywhere. Atlanta. 
He could have gone anywhere. And he in ends his up- defense, like that would kind of suck if you think about all the people that know him from like high school. Oh yeah, hitting him up all day. Like if he had gone across the country, you wouldn't have any of that. You say now he that. has to deal that with that for like five years. But you say that no one wants know. to go to Jacksonville. Like there's nothing in Jacksonville. Like it's just a ghost town. It's there's nothing there but the stadium. No one's going to want to drive up there to go watch him play. I don't know though, man. I, I agree. Like I, I think Jacksonville killed the draft as a, like from an organizational standpoint. Like they got job. the second best corner and the second best edge rusher in the in the class. Like that's pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty good haul. But man, it's uh, it, he was he did seem pretty upset about it. <laughs> which i think is hilarious like you can't like that's the thing is they cut the camera straight to these guys so they can't hide like how they actually feel on Mm. it you know i wish we could have gotten a Dwayne haskins moment where he like got interviewed like immediately afterwards and was just like everyone's gonna have to pay for this that was Mm -hmm. my favorite moment from the draft last year but i'm still glad that we get to see like these instant reactions and some of the parents are like freaking balling out too Uh. Javon like Kinlaw's dad Kinlaw's was like dad on the like <laughs> fell off the couch. Like that's incredible. Like, it, I mean, it, it really is. It really is fun. I think just because, I mean, this is life changing stuff for these guys to like, to see them like be at home, like in their natural comfort and like see their family's reaction to it. Like, I think that is kind of a really cool thing that you don't normally get. Like, yeah, like everybody claps and like, but they kind of have to like, they're in this really professional environment. So they don't really like jump up and do crazy things and like hug each other. Like I think that they probably want to do with a normal NFL draft. So like, I thought that was kind of cool. That was good. I enjoyed it. Was it Mickey Beckton's dad who was ginormous? Yeah. Well, my guy Beckton's whole family is huge. Yeah, but, uh, but they were talking about this guy. There's no way this guy should have run a 40 time as fast as he did. And the dad was stood up. And I'm looking at the dad thinking, if that's Mekai Beckton, the world is in trouble because he is huge. He's massive. That reminds me, the biggest fail of the night, right, was Saints, GM, uh, Saints GM or Vice President of Personnel, whatever his official title is, Mickey Loomis. I was really disappointed because he has a popcorn machine in his office that was empty. I mean, imagine the visual. This is what I would have done. If I'd had a popcorn machine, I would have gone. I would have made the popcorn. I would have had it all ready. I'd have literally kicked back on the chair. I'd have leaned back, got my popcorn, and just started eating it like the memes. I think that would have been like a home run pick, but he missed it. There's one opportunity to shine Mickey Loomis. He failed miserably. But I could talk about jar setups all night. We get to see Belichick. He was at home on his own, but we'll leave that because there's going to be so many more to talk about. I want to talk about uh ethan's new guide the injury guide uh talk to us a little bit about how uh what came about and we obviously we know your specialties we talked about that um but what made you sort of put it together and and what's it about and where can people kind of find it as well yeah so the i've 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 dubbed it the, the 2020 rookie injury guide my hope is that this becomes a yearly thing um basically about three years ago um i realized that for what I do, I really needed to know when a player, what had happened in a player's history um, that could, I guess, um, predispose them to injury when they actually get to the NFL. And so once they get to the NFL, typically, and we've got full websites devoted to 
telling you like when a player gets hurt, what happened, you know, basically everything about a player's history, you can basically look it up on a website and it won't show you, you know, a full injury history once they get to the NFL. The problem is, is that these guys play football for their whole lives before they get there. Um, And what I was finding was the first year that I did injury analysis, I would go and look and see that, you know, Oh, this person has, you know, we, we always hear, especially like at this time of year and then right before NFL, like when preseason camps and stuff start, you know, players are, you know, at risk to be, to be injured, you know, they're going to get hurt or they're, they've been injured, you know, X amount of times in the past. And, you know, will they be able to hold up? And what I found was that I was really frustrated that despite having all this injury info for NFL players, nobody was collecting any injury histories for these guys before they came into the NFL. And so we were kind of just basically at the mercy of shoddy reporting, to put it lightly, of which players coming into the NFL were an injury risk or not. There was no way for me to go look up, you know, how many times a player had been hurt, when they'd been hurt, you know, how they responded afterwards. There was nothing. I had nothing that I could go off of. So I started with Dynasty 101 um, with their uh, rookie guide. And basically all I did was I I, uh, very quickly went through and just tried to find, you know, any kind of injury that I could find that the player would be coming in for. Um, Didn't really have a whole lot outside of just like, you know, guys had two ankle sprains or he's had, you know, he sprained his ankle three times and, you know, he tore his ACL. And like, it was a very rudimentary um, analysis. I mean, it was literally just, you know, find out what has happened to this player. You know, and that's really it, just the injuries. And so that was in 2017, the 2017 class. And so, nope, 2018 class. So 2018 class, I did just basically just generic. This is what has happened to this player. Nothing really else included. And then I I looked at that injury history and gave basically a red, yellow, green light of what I thought their injury risk coming into the league was going to be. Um, didn't really have a whole lot of data. Didn't really have much to go off of, except like I looked at the, what had happened to them in the past and said, yeah, yeah, you know, probably okay. You know, if I couldn't find anything, probably going to be okay when he gets to NFL, probably doesn't have a lot of risk involved with this pick. Um, you know, if he had a couple major things, you know, probably high risk, you know, he's had some major issues. These could give him, you know, issues in the past, but there wasn't really a whole lot of depth to the analysis. So that was year one. Uh, last year I switched it up. Um, I started getting a little bit more serious with when, when at least the year that the injury happened so that I could get some type of, um, you know, concept of a timeline um, and actually actual history of, okay, when did they sprain their, you know, when did they sprain their ACL? When did they, you know, do this? When did they do that? So that I would kind of know, was this something that happened, you know, five years ago that hasn't given them any problems since, or was this something that happened like this year that probably is going to cause them to miss games as soon as they hit the NFL? That was last year. Um, After doing it for two years, last year I did 215 players. And I found that I was spending a ton of time doing it uh, for Dynasty 101. And I just, I'll be totally honest, like I didn't get the reimbursement that I wanted in for monetary just for the time that it took to do that. Um, I really felt like I was kind of, you know, putting in a half, you know, a half-hearted effort into basically finding the stuff one. And I was a little 
I would, I mean, I'll just be honest. Like I was disappointed with how the guide did. Um, it's still a very good guide. They're still doing it. You should, and some of my injury stuff is still in this guide this year. You should go buy that guide because it is, a, I think a very good rookie guide, especially if you play IDP, because not very many people will do uh, players with IDP players too. Um, but this year I decided, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it look good. I'm going to basically put in 150% effort so that I know this year, if this is something that is financially viable for me to continue putting hours and hours and hours of time into, or if it's just, you know what, nobody wants this stuff. Nobody's going to pay for it. Nobody really cares about how much time I spend doing it. It's not going to be worth it for me. Um, to do that, I basically decided I was going to do my own guide. Um, I was going to put way more time into the history to make it essentially the, the, the only thing on the market that gives you a full injury history, plus what happened after the injury, when the injury has occurred, so that it is, I mean, when you read it, it reads, you read basically from their most recent injury to their, the furthest injury I could find, um, and you read it, you know, it's a, it's a legitimate timeline. Like you can go back and track. I have sources for everything that I do. So it, it has to be reported for me to, you know, by an official source for me to include it in the guide. So this isn't like me just guessing that, oh, well, I saw a video and it looked like he sprained his ankle. No, it has to be reported. Um, and then I basically said, you know what, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to make this red, yellow, green light system, something that's objective. So it takes my bias out of, um, out of these grades so that I can compare with this guide, one wide receiver to another wide receiver. I can compare a running back to a wide receiver. I can compare a quarterback to a defensive lineman and use their histories to assess their injury risk. Um, that is a very complex uh, formula that I have basically created. Um, it's a 10 point scale. So it's easy to understand um, on the surface level, but if I showed you the formula that goes into it, you would be like astonished of the math that is involved. Um, but what that does is it takes my bias out of it. So it truly is the only way to compare two injury histories on the market. Um, this guide is the only place that you can get college injury history information. Um, and it is basically broken down by someone who actually knows like what the heck is going on with these injuries and has been doing this now for three years, deciding who, who is a, a, at a greater risk. And you might look at that and say, you know what, I don't really see how that applies to like me from a fantasy perspective. Um, I will tell you that this injury history collection and risk assessment was the difference for me uh, between taking Christian McCaffrey over Leonard Fournette. I think that worked out pretty well for me. Um, it also had me taking uh, Sony Michelle over guys like Rashad Penny, uh, or sorry, it had me taking Nick Chubb over guys like Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle. Um, that has worked out pretty well for me. Um, it it really is. It's a it's a, just another piece of information that you can't have unless you have this guide, and so that's why I think it's ten bucks. That's I mean, that's nothing for what you get, the time that it would take you to do this. I can tell you that it takes me half an hour per player. I've got 100 players when it first starts. I'll have 150 when it's, when it's totally done and updated by the end of the summer. You can't you, – you would have to spend just hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to collect this information, and that 
in and of itself is worth $10 because you don't, you're saving yourself time basically. Um, on top of all that, it's beautiful because my wife is a graphic designer and she has designed just an absolutely gorgeous layout. Um, it will not look like it's just one person doing it, but it absolutely is. It's probably, I would argue, probably one of the prettier guides to read. It, it really does look like a very professional uh, publication. So um, if you want to look at it, you can go to my Twitter um, and actually see like a player page. Um, and just see the quality because I think when people get this thing in their hands, they're going to go, holy crap, this is worth twice as much as what I paid for it. Oh, easily. And like, um, we, I bought it immediately. It was like, right, no brainer for me, 10 bucks. Why, why wouldn't you? And you sent me the raw data. So obviously I don't have the finished product. You kindly sent me the raw data and it is, it's, it's not just like an an explanation. It's like, oh, so-and-so got injured. And they wrote, and like, it happened during then. It was, when was the injury? How severe is the injury? And then you have so many different points in there about the likelihood that they could get re-injured and then your risk factors you talk about and, and so many other bits and pieces that it, it's not like the little blurb you get at the bottom of, of <laughs> or, or, you know, Roto Ball or whatever else, where it's just a small piece of information. You can feel confident that, the information you're getting is so complete that you will know the inside outs and you'll know it's genuine given the sources that, that you use. And that's, that's the key. Cause as you mentioned, you could pick up a Richard Penny and you know, you got a bust on your hands. If you were spending the kind of capital that people were on him, Darius Geis is a, is another example was another player. I know that you flagged, uh, for injury and I know this year you've got quite a few players that you've got um, flagged and I guess probably the one that is most publicly known is is Tua uh, Tagovailoa in terms of Tua then given the fact that everybody talks about his injuries and they are well documented I think you've got a couple more in there that probably aren't as well documented but everyone knows that he is he's is injury prone but from your research on Tua alone, is he a first-round pick? Did the Dolphins make the right move? And what's kind of his outlook uh, a projection for the NFL as a result? I do think that – I don't think the Dolphins made a mistake drafting Tua. I think his talent dictated that. Um, I think that in this class especially, given what the Dolphins need, um, I definitely feel like it was not a mistake to take Tua in the top five. Um, the hip – uh, dislocation with the posterior wall fracture, which is basically just the, the back of the socket of the hip breaks off when it, when that happens. I mean, that is a, it's a pretty significant injury. Does it take, you know, five years off the end of his career that nobody talks about that, that portion of the career that you lose? Um, my example is always Andrew Luck. Um, we talked about him getting hurt all the time, but nobody ever talked about, okay, well, is he going to retire? way earlier than expected because he's had all these issues. Um, I could, could we see that with Tua, you know, with a few more major injuries? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that is within the possibility um, from a fantasy and dynasty perspective. And just from a real life football perspective, I think you still take what you get with Tua. I don't think if you look back, the Colts would have traded uh, having, even if they had known, I still think they would have taken Andrew Luck because they know that they're going to have an elite quarterback prospect. Um, 
Tua is a risk though. I mean, that is what the data says. That is what uh, everyone knows that this is a risky proposition to take a guy with this kind of history. And I think, I think we saw teams last night hedge that, uh, that risk with the strategy of no one traded up for Tua. You know, we heard it all week that the Lions and even the Giants were considering trading back um, if someone wanted to put together an offer that they deemed was reasonable. And what I think happened, honestly, is I think because of Tua's risk uh, with these injuries, because teams haven't been able to basically poke and prod these players the way that they normally would, uh, given the virus and what all is going on with that, Teams were not willing to move heaven and earth to try to trade up to ensure that they got this guy. I think both the Chargers and basically Miami were were going, okay, you know, we'll throw an offer out maybe, but it's not going to be what we've seen some of these quarterback offers be in the last few years where teams are trading, you know, just an exorbitant number of picks to move up, you know, a few spots to take a guy. I think with Tua, they said, you know, this is not, a risk. We can't hedge our entire future on a guy that has, that carries this much injury risk coming off a major injury. Uh, who knows if he's even going to, they're even going to let him play. I personally think that he will play this year. Um, I do think he's going to play in 2020. Um, I think he's going to be healthy enough to play. The question is, will are, do, does the dolphins do the dolphins want to sit him for a year? I mean, they have Fitzpatrick. They could theoretically sit him for an entire year and say, you know what, we invested at, at you know, the fifth overall pick in you. We're going to wait. And you're going you're gonna to learn from a guy who we like. And we're going to let, you know, we might suck again, but, you know, by next year, you're going to come in. You're going to be great. We're going to have an offensive line and an offense around you that's going to help you succeed. Just give us a year of basically recovering and getting back to 100% and learn. And then we bring you in. Um, not, not that much different than what happened with Pat Mahomes, except obviously Pat Mahomes didn't have any injury history. Um, so that's what I think. I think it, I think teams played this, they incorporated the injury risk into how he was drafted. Um, we just, we, that's me speculating, of course, like, I don't know for sure, but I, I think that that is what happened. And that's why we didn't see a team willing to move, you know, tons of picks to trade up to three for the lions. And I think that's why we saw the lions go, well, you know what, they're sending us offers that just really don't reflect like what it would take for us to move back and risk losing our guy. So we're just going to let them do their own thing. And we're just going to take our guy and the giants did the same thing. And then, Obviously, it played out the way it played out. Um, but, yeah, injury risk is there. We will see. Um, he, is the, he is tied for the highest uh, injury risk rating, which is that, that objective number that I've placed on players. He's got a 9.5 out of 10. That's, that's about as bad as it gets. It seems I, I mean, it is high, but I also understand it. I think that – I think teams almost invest too much in – what 10, 15 years looks like. And when you look yes. at the average tenure of a GM and a head coach, they're not there. They're not there. Unless you're Bill Belichick, right? So he is the <laughs> anomaly that skews all the stats. But very rarely do you get a GM who's in role for 10, 15, 20 years. So, and I think it's going to get shorter and shorter because results mean so much more in terms of cash and financials now. There's so much money in the game. We see this in in soccer, um, in the Premier League, where it used to be long-tenured managers 
15, 20 years. Now the average tenure is like two and a half years for the head coach. It's just not long. And, and I think the NFL is getting in a very similar way, seven, eight firings a year. I mean, you got four this year, which is low, but I think that yeah, you've got to take the risk because of the fact it's five years. Now for fantasy, it's completely different because no one knows right now what to do with Tua from a redraft perspective, from a dynasty perspective. If you're going to spend that first round pick on him, you've got to be prepared to not win this year because the chances could be that he doesn't play. So you invest um, that that first round pick on him in dynasty. And if you're challenging or wanting to challenge, you can't do that right now because Ricky drafts are going to be in the next month. And if you're, you're, you're taking two are thinking I'm not going to win this year, but that's fine. I'm stashing him for next year. And that's an okay strategy. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, you're going to have to basically take the L this year. At least that's how you've got to plan it. If it ends up with loads of upside, great. And if he turns out and he rolls out week one, week two, and he's balling, then happy days. But I don't think you can go into a rookie draft next month and think I'm drafting him as my 101 or 102 in a super flex, and I'm expecting him to start week one because I don't think that's that's the case. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would say that with with all players, it's a risk reward. Um, to his talent dictates that he's a top five quarterback they are taking a risk taking it at five given his injury history but that's and the same thing applies to dynasty i mean you have to if you really feel like tua is the best quarterback prospect in this class and everything you've read and everything that you believe is that he is going to be an elite quarterback you know then take him in the top five but if you're if you're doing that and you're expecting him to put up huge numbers as a, a first-year quarterback you're probably going to be disappointed. And so you have to factor all that in, just like the Dolphins have to factor all that in. Um, This is, I think injuries affect top tier talent much less than what we will see today and tomorrow. Um, When I go back and look, I'm I'm, I'm going to be doing some numbers once I, once I finally like officially get grades for every single player, I'm almost done. I got like 10 or 15 more players left. I'm going to go back and look and see basically where did my injury risk rating grade? Where did it average out for first round players versus second round players versus third round players? And do teams start taking more risk or do they, do you find that elite players either get hurt less um, or have less injury risk? I can tell you that a lot of the dudes that, that got taken in that first round yesterday, they don't have any history. So staying healthy is a huge factor for draft capital, I think. Um, but when you're talking about a top five talent and it's a quarterback, you're probably going to be will- a lot more. The leash is much longer for them. Let's put it that way. It's going to be to do with position scarcity as well, right? There's only a few elite quarterbacks every year, whereas wide receivers running back so forth deeper. So Absolutely. In order, there is going to be injury risk with some of the top guys because there's fewer of them. That's and then you have to take that risk either way. But talk about someone like DeAndre Swift or Zach Moss, their injury profiles. Have that, has that hurt their draft stock? It has yet to be seen for sure. Um, you know, Swift has basically a 4.25 out of 10. That's moderate risk. It's on the lower end uh, for me. And you might say, well, he never missed any games either. And it's like, well, that's the problem is, is that when he started getting volume, that was when he got hurt. 
And so uh, you're looking at this from a perspective of one, he's got one, two, three, four, and he's got six recorded injuries that occurred to him. So yes, most of these are sprains and strains, which are the things that tend to bother people the more and more and more as they go on. Um, so that's why his risk is a little bit larger than maybe some people would expect. Um, again, talent wins out. I think he's going to go in the second round tonight. Um, and I think he's, I don't think teams are going to be super concerned, like I said, about the history necessarily. Um, but we've already seen a surprise at running back. I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire going before all these dudes. That is surprising to some people, but he has one of the lowest grades for running back in my class. He's tied actually um, with Jonathan Taylor as the second lowest grade. And the only grade that I give lower than his is when you don't have a single injury reported. And I, I believe if I look down through here, I only did that with three running backs in my top 17 backs. So um, for the most part, all of these guys are hurt. And so the fact that his history is clean um, for Edward Talaire could have been a deciding factor for him over Swift. If you think that they're close, just like I think that, you know, a guy like Zach Moss, he's one that I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Um, he has people that absolutely love him and you only need one team to love a guy to get them drafted higher than what I think they should be. But his injury history is one of the higher uh, grades in this class. And it all dates back to a knee injury that, there's not a lot of concrete evidence on what happened with this knee injury back in 2018. Um, he basically hurt himself in practice. And then later that week tried to get into his bed and his, his knee basically locked up and didn't move. Like he couldn't straighten it again. Um, I have seen a lot of reports that this was an ACL tear. He did have surgery on it. So I know he had surgery, but nothing ever came out as far as what exactly happened with this knee. I've seen people that I trust report that it's an, that it was an ACL tear, but I can tell you the stuff that I found doesn't indicate and never indicated from official sources from that time period did not say it was an ACL tear. The description of his injury does not dictate that it was an ACL tear. So I think people are guessing. I'll be totally honest. I think people are guessing that it was an ACL tear because it was a major knee injury. I think it was a meniscus tear. Um, based on the mechanism, it is very common for a meniscus tear to tear and then later give you more trouble. It moves and locks on you. That is like textbook meniscus. That is not textbook. You don't tear your ACL getting into bed usually. <laughs> um, so I'm not calling anybody a liar. I'm just saying that there's a lot of mystery around this knee and teams aren't going to be uh, they're They're not going to be risk takers in this draft, especially because they haven't been able to vet that. knee. So he's a guy that at running back, if teams start to say, you know what, we're not totally hundred percent sure on his knee. He could be a second round talent that goes in the third or maybe slides to day three and I think you could look back at this injury history and say that is playing a huge role in what's happening here. Now he could go, you know, at the first pick of the second round, and then this is all a moot point, but I could see it happening. Um, I could, there's definitely a, an argument to be made that he should or could start sliding in, in the NFL draft. 
It speaks it speaks well for Jonathan Taylor as well to have one of your lowest grades considering the amount of work he's done at Wisconsin, right? Jonathan Taylor's a freak and he should have been the he should have been the Chiefs pick, um, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor is a freak given the number of carries he's had and the fact that he is I mean, he's basically healthy Nick Chubb or healthy Leonard Fournette in my eyes. So um, both of those dudes had major injuries. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has not. And so I don't see how you can't like Jonathan Taylor as a prospect. But I love him. Apparently he's my they, RB1. So. Appar- apparently the, the Chiefs wanted Damian Williams 2.0. I don't know. That's just their type, I guess. Uh, well, I, uh, I think he's I, better than Damian. I shouldn't say that, but I'm just saying I was say, the upside is with Jonathan Taylor. And I'm a well, Jonathan Taylor fan, so I think I think I'm a Jonathan Taylor fan, probably uh, you know as much if not more so than you. But I would say with Clyde with Clyde he he fits perfectly into that scheme, um, yes. and I think that's the it, it, it scheme with injury. I think with the two the two points because he's such a good catching receiving back, yeah. and I think that's going to be you know that what they're looking for is is Priest Holmes 2.0. That's really what they're looking for, and I think Clyde with Soler could be that guy obviously the front office think that he could be that guy and i think he's a compliment to damian williams however having said that do not be surprised if damian williams if fit has more carries and has more touches than clyde would say year one spoiler because <laughs> i can see it happening i can see damian williams getting more work if healthy and that's the key than clyde would year one year two year three not so much but this year, I can see it. I think it's going to take Clyde Hubbard-Solaire some time to get into that playbook and, and work it out. Oh, Andy Reid's shirt, by the way. Let's talk about, well, let's not talk about <laughs> that. But that dude, Hawaiian shirt, what an absolute hero. I like Ethan, the I'm, setup. I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on LaVisca Sheenel and uh, Michael Pittman Jr. As uh, I'm a bit of a Sheenel fan. Yeah, Chenault is actually one of those guys that I think is being hurt quite a bit from a, I think he's a first round talent at wide receiver. Um, I, I, but I do feel like his injury history has finally creeped up on him. I mean, looking back, he's got five reported injuries. Um, he has 7.5, which is tied for the highest uh, risk value among wide receivers right now um, out of 10. So, I mean, that is, that's considered a high risk. Anything above seven is a high risk in my, on my scale. And so um, biggest things are actually the things that have happened uh, you know, in his past. I mean, he had a turf toe surgery in 2018. We've seen with guys like AJ Green that has come back and become an issue later on, especially at wide receiver. Um, uh, in 2019, he had a labral tear in his, his shoulder. I mean, uh, my wife, who who I love, uh, but is not a, f- a football fanatic like I am, asked me, like, why does it matter that his shoulder gets hurt? I'm like, well, every time you get tackled, you land on your shoulder. So the fact that his labrum is, is, is a weak point on his body um, is definitely something that you have to know about and you have to take it into account that he has had issues with this before. Um, we're seeing that play out with Anthony Miller right now. He was a guy that had uh, shoulder issues in college that has since had multiple shoulder issues in the NFL. Um, so it's definitely a huge deal when you see something like that. Um, Chenault had... And the, the other problem, and I think the reason he could slide is that uh, teams are, they're just like everybody else. They have recency bias. And so with Chenault, um, he was dealing with osteitis pubis, which is a basically an inflammation of the pubic bone um, where your pelvis like attaches at the bottom. 
Um, that is a condition that I've rarely ever seen with NFL players, but it could be an issue with he was overtraining or trying to overtrain for the combine. Um, and then he had sports hernia surgery, which I think is related back to an injury he had last season where he had an abdominal strain. That's just a tear of your abdominal muscle. And then obviously when you tear it or injure it, it's hard for that to like come back together. And then he, he basically like his intestines pop out of it. That's just what a hernia is. Um, but he had surgery after the combine. So people are going to look at his combine numbers and say, Chanel is not as good of an athlete as we thought he was. And I will I will argue that if you put anyone with an, uh, if you have ever had a sports hernia or know anyone that has a sports hernia, ask how well they ran with it. Um, he was doomed to have a disappointing combine because he was playing hurt. Uh, he was participating hurt. Um, and I think that because that was the most recent memory that teams have of him, we could see him falling. Now, does that discount the talent? Absolutely not. I think Chanel is, this is a, a chance to get value from a guy who has an injury history in your rookie drafts because he's probably going to fall in the second round, um, which is, I mean, to me is a steal for a guy that we were talking about as a mid to late first uh, just a few months ago. So we'll see where he lands, but I actually like Chanel, even though he does have some risk because his price is reflecting that risk. Um, I've seen him drop to the end of the second round in rookie drafts. Um, or rookie mocks, you know, leading up to the draft. And that is, shoot, if you can get a, you know, mid second for LaVisca Chenault, the upside is just, uh, you know, out of this, out of this world. So um, I like that his greatest, his injury risk is reflected in his draft capital. Sure. So then I guess final question from us is who shouldn't be drafted on day two of the NFL draft because of the injury risk and then whose injury shouldn't be made a big deal of even though it might be who is I would say Brian Edwards is the guy that I think most people will be surprised if he falls to day three that I would not be surprised given his injury history um, he is the other guy that has a 7.5 injury risk um, rating uh, in my guide at wide receiver and I just don't feel like the things that have been happening to him, he tore his knee cartilage in high school. And that might not sound like a big deal to, to, to most people, but when you tear the cartilage of your knee, especially in high school where you don't have access to top doctors and top, you know, training staffs, this is something that could immediately, you know, you know this could be something that starts to bother him now. Um, he also had a meniscus tear uh, that he's coming off of. So again, we're talking recency bias again. Uh, a meniscus tear with a foot fracture. He doesn't get a tra- test at the combine. Teams are not going to be uh, taking a ton of risks in this draft already. So he's one that I could definitely see falling to day three that people are going to be like, well, I don't understand how Brian Edwards could have fallen to day three. And I just feel like that is, that is the case. And um, I'm sorry, what was the second? I'm going to look here. What was the second question? Uh, and then whose injury history should be made less of a deal with unless in, in, in sorry whose injury should be made less of a deal of than perhaps is going to be someone that's perhaps being ruled out potentially due to injuries but actually their injury profile might not be as bad as uh as effectively what can be seen just on the surface maybe due to timing or or whatever um i'm trying to think of a good answer here i mean i've se- i've had a few people ask me um, 
I've had a few people ask me about rugs, um, Henry rugs, and he's, he's had a concussion. Um, you know, he's had a few, you know, just kind of aches and pains more than anything. Um, but because he was taken in the first round, I don't think anyone's going to be like super down on him. Um, but I, I mean, I think it, it's kind of, he's kind of getting lumped into the same kind of category that Marquise Brown was put in last year, where it's like, he's not particularly large when you do hit him, he seems to not be able to hold up as well. Um, I just don't think that his history is indicating anything that I'm super concerned about um, a rib contusion. Like that's not going to be a problem in the future. Uh, hip pointer is something that happens um, basically where you land on the top of your hip bone. That's not really something that's, you know, going to predict any future injuries. Concussions are a little concerning just because you do know that those can be issues, but he basically returned, you know, to practice immediately after that. So it wasn't something where he missed a bunch of games because of the concussion, which is something I look for for severity of those. Um, so, yeah, I would say rugs is probably yeah, uh, one that you might hear some people argue that he's an injury risk. Um, even if you look at the, I mean, I've got, still got him as a low risk. He's, he scored a 3.25 on my scale. So, And that was shown last night, right? With him being the first wide receiver off the board, people obviously weren't too concerned by his injury history. No, no. And, and I don't blame him. Awesome. Well, look, it's been a, a pleasure having you on as, as always, Ethan. Why don't you tell everyone where they can buy your injury guide? Because I'm sure after what you've previewed here, there'll be people flocking to, to get it and where they can get it uh, when it's out. Um, and then also where they can find you, will find your work and uh, where they can interact with you and ask questions. I know a lot of guys who, uh, were when you were on the first time around, interacted with you and asked a lot of questions. So for anyone new that perhaps doesn't know where you are. Yeah, so you can pretty much only do Twitter. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I guess I shouldn't say that, but the best place to, to reach out to me is actually on Twitter. It's at eTurnerFF underscore PT. Um, I have been told that it is the first Ethan Turner that shows up when you search me on Twitter. That was huge for me. Uh, I feel like I'm really making it here. Um, but you can find the guide. It's actually at the Fantasy Headliners dot um, com you can go on there and it's 10 bucks um, you can do everything you can buy it on there and then basically i will mail it out to you um, probably before this podcast drops but it's on the 25th um, that night so uh, if you're over in the uk it's going to be the 26th in the morning um, but you will wake up to uh, the great surprise of you know this huge injury guide that you can't find anywhere else um, so you you can purchase it actually on at the fantasy um, I do a lot. My new thing, my thing that I'm, I'm moving away from writing outside of this guide. So I don't do a lot of articles anymore, uh, but I will be working with the fantasy headliners on YouTube, um, doing video analysis and video, um, basically videos breaking down injuries. So I've already done one on Tua's hip um, injury, and I've also done one on AJ Green and the issues that he's had. So please go check those out on YouTube. Um, help support that channel because, you know, it, it really is a unique thing for me to do. It's where I really feel like I am best when I can, you know, use my hands and, 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 and really to explain things with images and things that really gives you a deeper understanding um, of what we do. I'm also on the Superflex show, which is a podcast that comes out every week. Um, you know, feel free to check that out during the season, during the off season. We do a lot of dynasty context uh, content, but it's, it's also a lot of, 
uh, super flex specific things. So if you're looking for help um, with quarterbacks or strategy um, in super flex leagues specifically, that's a great podcast to check out. So that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Just a little bit, just a little, a few things. Just a couple of places. <laughs> Well, listen, Ethan, man, we massively appreciate you coming on again. Let's not leave it a year till we have you back on, eh? Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully not. I think well, it, I think I'm finally getting into a groove here with this, like real life, uh, being an actual PT and also like being a, a fantasy football person too. We'll get you on before the season for sure during draft season because I think you'll have some analysis on some players who might get hurt between now and then, and. Um, ones that we can give a deep dive as to players who maybe who to miss in their drafts as due to their injuries and ones they don't need to worry about as much. Maybe those that were injured last season who should be fully healed. Yeah, I think that would be great. Awesome. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thanks again, buddy. We massively appreciate your time. Gentlemen, enjoy night two and night three of the draft. I'm sure you both will. Rush Nation, you get involved with us on Twitter at 5YardRush. Don't forget to check out the website www.5yardrush.co.uk enjoy the draft also stay safe everybody and until next week don't forget to keep rushing HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 